0: Hey guys, so we are going to talk all about carbohydrates today and this is me studying for my metabolism class. So if it goes a little bit into detail that you don't care about, I apologize for that. I am just going to go into the things that I need to study and go over. So first off, carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are your body's preferred method of fuel. They are four calories per gram and they are used for a variety of processes in your body. Um, They provide glucose for your nervous tissue and your red blood cells and they help to spare protein from use as an energy source. They also enable the correct metabolism, not correct metabolism, the efficient metabolism of fat. Carbs can be found in a variety of foods from fruits, vegetables, grains to nuts and seeds, and they can be classified as either monosaccharides, disaccharides or polysaccharides. So, let's talk about those. So, your monosaccharides are glucose, fructose and galactose. And your diet Disaccharides would be sucrose, lactose, and maltose. Now, sucrose is what you typically see as table sugar. Lactose is what you see in dairy; it's called the dairy sugar. And then maltose is kind of um, less seen. Then you have oligosaccharides, which are three to ten units of glucose. And then you have polysaccharides, which includes um, glycogen, starch, and cellulose. And those are over ten units of glucose. So Carbohydrates are hydrophilic. They can be either sugar alcohol, sugar acids, glycosides, and pretty much all carbs are made out of glucose. When you eat carbs, what happens is they digest into alpha-D glucose, all carbohydrates. So if somebody tells you, you know, hey, you're eating sugar and that is 10 times different than eating a brown rice product, yes, that is going to have a different effect on your blood glucose level but when digested that is always going to digest into glucose. So let's go into polysaccharides. So polysaccharides can either be linear or branched, and they can be made of either one single monosaccharide or two different types of monosaccharides. So first, we have starch and cellulose, which are homopolysaccharides. This means that they have only one type of monosaccharide in them, and that is glucose. So starch contains alpha-1,4-glucose links, and then cellulose contains beta-1,4-glucose links, which means that um, we aren't able to digest cellulose. Um, and amylose and amylopectin are what are made up of, um, starch. So amylose is linear and contains those alpha-1,4 bonds. Amylo- Amylopectin contains those alpha 1, 4 and 1, 6 bonds. So, starch contains both amylose and amylopectin. Um, and then we have another polysaccharide, which all you guys know of, is glycogen. Glycogen is in our muscles. It is what gives us fuel for our muscles when we don't have glucose available, um, either that or through our liver through gluconeogenesis or glycogenolysis. Um, So what happens is our liver or our muscle break down that glucose when we don't have any available, and that is what produces the glucose that we need for our bodies. But anyways, we're not going to talk about that today. Um, So glycogen contains both alpha-1,4 and alpha-1,6 linkages. So it has more branch points, so more places for glucose to be broken off than starch does. And this allows our bodies to be able to be, um, those glucose molecules to be able to be cleaved to produce glucose more rapidly. Um, Glycogen is in both our liver and our muscle cells. So glycogen is within us, starch is not within us. Starch is what you're gonna be digesting to produce glucose for energy in your body we talked about starch so starch there is actually a starch called resistance starch that provides less calories than the typical starch they'll eat. And this is because this starch is resistant to the digestive enzymes in your small intestine and it then enters the large intestine and it is fermented by gut microbiota. So essentially resistant starch, no, it does not provide calories essentially when we eat it, but when our gut microbiota digest it, that digestion is what produces short-chain fatty acids along with Carbon dioxide, hydrogen, and methane gases that then produce calories. Um, So the calorie content kind of it's different based on the resistant starch and the rest of the food molecules that you eat in a meal. But basically, resistant starch helps to lower the amount of carbohydrates that you're digesting. It lowers the amount um, of. It lowers the blood glucose that you can get after eating a resistant starch meal, and that can be used in maybe helping with um, diabetes or metabolic syndrome. So that is resistant starch. I know I have an awesome professor who's going to do research on resistant starch. So look for details on that in relation to metabolic syndrome coming out soon. So, quick overview of the digestion of starch. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but when you eat starch, the digestion starts in your mouth by salivary amylase and those alpha 1-4 bonds are broken there and the products of that digestion is maltose and oligosaccharides. So, after that and those carbohydrates go into your stomach, they are not digested in the stomach at all. This is because that amylase is inactivated in the stomach. Now once those carbohydrates, those little molecules, go into your small intestine, that is where they are further digested. So in your duodenum, in your small intestine, that is where pancreatic amylase digests those alpha one four bonds to create maltose and alpha limit dextrins. Okay, so once those starch molecules are broken down into those monosaccharides and they have passed your duodenum and small intestine, this is when those molecules ne- molecules need to enter your bloodstream. So I won't go into the glute one, the glute two, glute three, or um, I'll go a little bit about the glute five. But so your glucose molecules can use different enzymes to enter your bloodstream and we are going to talk about the GLUT4 mechanism for glucose entering your muscle and your fat tissue. So GLUT4 is insulin dependent, meaning it needs insulin for those glucose molecules to enter your bloodstream. Now this is what causes problems with insulin resistance and diabetes. So let's first talk about what happens when you have a normal glucose amount or low, glucose amount meal. So that glucose is going to use um, its secondary active transport and use the SGLT1 enzyme to use two sodiums via that Um, secondary active transport and that is what is going to then go into the um, cell and then it's going to use GLUT2 to exit the cell and into your bloodstream. And then fructose is what is going to just straight up use GLUT5. So that is with a low glucose concentration or normal glucose concentration. And then when you have high glucose concentration... That SGLT1 enzyme is gonna be highly concentrated, so it is not gonna be able to be used. And the body's going to have to use only the GLUT2 response to uptake that into your tissues. Uh, GLUT5 will be what is used for fructose regardless. So the body does not know when, if you have too much glucose, I mean, you have too much fructose, the body does not know that you have too much fructose. So fructose can just go in and go in and go in. And with glucose, actually, you can have um, kind of an insulated, an insulin-mediated response in which um, glucose increases and there's internalization of those GLUT2 enzymes and that decreases the uptake of glucose in your small intestine. This doesn't happen with insulin resistance. There's internal there's not internalization of those GLUT2 enzymes in the apical membrane and this causes the GLUT2 to just always be open and those glucose molecules just keep entering into the bloodstream and this is what keeps that blood glucose levels in your blood high. So that is with insulin resistance. So now that we're on the topic of insulin, let's talk about insulin. So insulin is an anabolic hormone that plays several different roles in our bodies in the like re- the regulation of energy metabolism. So in the presence of either carbohydrate. Carbohydrates or protein in a healthy individual, insulin is secreted by beta cells in our pancreas and this stimulates the transfer of glucose from the blood into the body cells. So insulin acts to help lower blood glucose levels in the blood when we have high blood glucose. Glucose may go into either the liver, the fat, or converted into glycogen in the muscle, which is known as glycogenesis. This glycogen can be stored and used when blood glucose levels are low. When insulin is stimulated, it creates a cascade of metabolic events, which includes glycolysis, which is the conversion of glucose to acetyl-CoA through multiple different enzymes for energy. It causes protein synthesis, so the creation of new proteins from amino acids, and it creates lipogenesis, so the formation of triglycerides from fatty acids and glycerol. Insulin inhibits glycogenolysis, so the breakdown of glycogen to glucose, lipolysis, which is the breakdown of fatty acids for fuel, and protein, um, the release of amino acids for fuel. So um, it's also going to inhibit ketogenesis, so using ketones for fuel. So an individual with diabetes has altered insulin. Um, excretion, or metabolism. The body either does not produce enough insulin, which can be seen in type 1 diabetes or it does not um, use insulin effectively, such as type 2 diabetes. So um, with type 2 diabetes, you can either have a cell receptor response not happening, the cell is not um, recognizing that there's insulin there to uptake it into the cells, or there's a diminished amount of insulin available. So insulin is our friend. Insulin is what helps us create muscle. It's help what gives us energy. So insulin is needed to regulate our blood glucose levels. And with insulin resistance, you are not able to regulate those blood glucose levels as much. So enough about insulin. Let's talk about fiber. So fiber consists of non-digestible carbohydrates that we can eat through plants, fruits, carbohydrates. And this is what it Essentially, carbohydrates do not have calories. We can't digest them. However, like I stated previously, like inulin and oligosaccharides, those um, short-chain fatty acids are what can produce calories in different amounts based on what kind of fiber we eat. So fiber can either be a natural occurring fiber in foods or plants, or it can be a synthetic A synthetic carbohydrate you know created in the lab that can be included as well. So with fiber it can either be viscous or fermentable. So that means that fermentable means that our large intestine is able to produce those short chain fatty acids. It can also be either gel forming or structural. So let's talk about gel forming fibers. This is about 20 to 30 percent of fiber in a human diet and this consists of pectins, gums, beta-glucans, and hemicelluloses and gel-forming fibers are soluble, viscous, and fermentable. So they function in our GI tract, and they what happens with these fibers is um, they bind bile in the upper GI tract, and they help to remove cholesterol. The viscosity and the ability to form the gel is what helps with slowing gastric emptying, so keeping you full. And what happens is the release of our gut peptides, such as um, glucagon-like peptide one. So GLP-1 can help to help us stay full through improved satiety and other hypothalamic actions. So to give you guys an example of some gel-forming fibers, there are beta-glucans, which are in oats and barley, and this is what helps to lower blood cholesterol. You guys have seen on the package of the oats, it says helps lower blood cholesterol. And then there are gums, which are um, released from plants, and that includes xylem, which is metacil, metamucil, and that is often used as a laxative and stool softener. And then there are pack- which are in foods like apples citrus peels like oranges and those can be used as thickening agents in foods such as jams or jellies or just you know the pectins found that we eat in a normal everyday diet there are also structural fibers and these are about you know most of the fiber in our diet this concludes of um cellulose, hemulosis, and lignin, and these structural fibers are insoluble, they're not viscous, and they're poorly fermentable, and these are the fibers that help increase your stool bulk. So they have little effect on satiety and on the rate as which um, gastric emptying, so the rate as which a meal exit your stomach and into your um, intestines. And so like I had said previously, cellulose has those alpha-1 glucose linkages and it is not able to be digested the body. It is not, it's poorly fermentable, so it's not going to provide those short-chain fatty acids and those calories. Then um, you also have that hemicellulose and lignin, which is often, um, it consists of phenolic compounds, um, but it's like wood. It's You're not going to really see it much. So we have those structural fibers. We have those gel-forming fibers. And um, we also have other fibers. So we have inulin or fructans, which is those oligosaccharides, which are found in wheat, onions, bananas, garlics, and leeks. And we also have chitin and chitosan. So chitin is marketed for weight loss, but there is really not really any evidence. So what people like to claim is that it helps to bind fat and other nutrients and remove it. That way we're not receiving those calories, but there needs to be more data on that. So fiber, like I said, can have different caloric values. It can range from 1.5 to 2.5 calories per gram, and the U.S. allows zero calories per gram to be labeled for insulin fibers, and four calories per gram be labeled for soluble fibers. And that is because the soluble fibers are the ones that are able to produce um, calories from those short chain fatty acids. And the thing about fiber is we can't control exactly how many calories that our little bacteria are going to produce. So my suggestion with fiber is to always count it in your dietary caloric intake. So the fiber amounts I suggest for people. So for women, it's going to be from 25 to 38 grams of fiber daily. If you're going by calories, you should go by 14 grams of fiber per 1,000 calories that you eat. So... When fiber hits your stomach, what happens is the fiber is resistant to that digestion in your stomach, and then when it goes to the small intestine, it absorbs water, which helps, you know, with that bulk and that satiety effect while slowing that gastric emptying, and then those structural fibers, so the ones that aren't going to really absorb water, they're not going to really have that much effect on gastric emptying. So last thing I want to mention about fiber is that fiber can be a prebiotic. So a prebiotic is a non-digestible food ingredient that can have beneficial effects on the person who eats it. So prebiotics seen in foods are FOSs. So those are fructo oligosaccharides and those can be found in things like apples and they're made of fructose and they are shorter than inulin which is found in like fiber one they can cause GI distress though Um, So with reducing FOSs in your diet, this is what helps with IBS, and this is what you see with a low food map diet. So a low food map diet stands for a low fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols, and it's important with a low food map diet to recognize that food maps and prebiotics and these things that we are eliminating can help us with our digestion and our digestive issues as well so F- be following a food map diet, you really need to be careful because, at least in my opinion and from my research, it's not about taking everything out. It's about finding what hurts you and what causes you issues, and then going from there. So that's a quick talk about the law, the low food map diet, and a little bit about digestion of carbohydrates and fiber. I didn't really go too much about into the digestion of fiber in regards to how it occurs and what happens in the intestines, but I didn't want to make this too long. I hope you guys liked this chat. I know it went a little into about enzymes that y'all don't really care about, but I tried. Please let me know if you guys enjoyed this podcast by leaving a review on iTunes. Make sure you check out my Instagram at Faith and Fit, my Twitter at Lacey a. Dunn, and hit me an email at fitandfaith at gmail.com if you guys have any topics you want me to go over, if this annoyed you. Or if you, you know, just want to chat. So thank you guys so much for listening. And I hope you guys have a fantastic day. And if you're still listening to me, high five, good job, you're the bomb.com. See you guys later.